I want to thank our choir this morning for that beautiful anthem. In every breath, a song of praise. I don't know if you had a chance to see the little note, the composer's note beneath the anthem as it's printed in your bulletin this morning. But that anthem was written about a beautiful six-year-old boy named Brock McCauley, who's a person with Down syndrome and autism and a sensory processing disorder and an immune deficiency problem. And yet he, like all of us, bears the image of God. And as the composer wrote, for his own purpose, God shaped and formed me I have a place within his plan. I am the image of my creator. My past and my future are secure within his hand. And we seem to have a worship service this morning that requires participation. But I want to ask for a show of hands this morning. How many of us have within our family or our extended family someone who has a disability. You can see how many of our loved ones have disabilities. I want to read from the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, our text for today, and it seems remarkably timely. Here, Jesus in Jerusalem with his disciples reflects on the future and the challenges of, that the disciples were going to face. He certainly does not promise them a rose garden. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. And then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Now, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome to Holland by... Emily Pearl Kingsley is a piece that she wrote that illustrates how easily we become disoriented in life when things 
don't happen as we expect them. And I think it's useful for us as we try to imagine a different life than the life we planned on living. This story describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. And it's written to try and help those of us who've not had that experience to understand it in some small way. And so Emily Pearl Kingsley writes, it's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks, you make wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo's, David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting, and after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags, and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. And your flight attendant comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland, you say. What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy, but there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks. And you must learn a whole new language. And you will meet a whole new group of people you never have met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But you see, everyone you know is coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they've had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain will never, never go away. Because the loss of that dream is very significant. And then Kingsley concludes her piece by writing, But if you spend your time and your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. End quote. By some estimates, there are as many as 54 million people in the United States with a disability. And the spiritual needs of many of them, especially the need for corporate worship like this, go unmet because of barriers in communities of faith like ours. Now those barriers may include architectural impediments like stairs and doors, curbs, they may include communication barriers like sound amplification or large print, good lighting. But the most significant barriers are attitudinal. The way we treat and the way we interact with those who have a disability. And the truth of the matter is most of us at some point in our life are going to need assistance. 
It may be the assistance of a wheelchair or a walker. It may be the need to read Braille or to use some amplification of sound so that we can hear. We may at some point lose our memory or face some cognitive disabilities. We may have a mental health crisis. So there is real truth to the adage that we're all only temporarily able-bodied. But the Lord knows that a person who hears less may see more. That one who sees less may perceive more. That one who speaks slowly may have more to say. And that a person who moves with difficulty may actually have a clearer sense of direction. So our lives and our community's life of faith is greatly diminished if we race by those who have so much to contribute but face barriers in our attitudes most of all. Now our text this morning is something of a welcome to Holland. In other words, welcome to the life you didn't plan on living. Welcome to a life that will require more patience and more perseverance from you than you think you're capable of. We want life to remain static. We want life to remain secure, but it is so dynamic. It is always changing. And it often changes in ways we don't want. So hang on and hang in there. Because that's the way the birth of the kingdom of God enters human history and enters our lives. You know, John's gospel places primary importance upon love as the most important quality for believers. And Matthew's gospel places it upon action. His gospel ends with that great command, Go, make disciples of all nations. Mark's message is a little different. His message is watch and endure in the midst of the difficulties and the struggles of life and even persecution. Jesus doesn't guarantee an easy way of life. On the contrary, he says to those who follow him, you will swim against the current. You will face challenges of untold proportion. The message of Mark is not so much about what it is we're to expect, but it, about how it is we're to preserve to persevere, and how it is we are to wait for God's coming future. Now the truth is, some of us expect too much of life, and others of us expect too, too little. But somewhere between pessimism and optimism is a realism. Somewhere between those two extremes is a faith that inspires us and motivates us and perseveres. The 20th century began with great optimism about what was possible 
about science and the Industrial Revolution and the human capacity to solve every problem. But the 20th century didn't turn out with all that much optimism. Just this last week, we remembered Veterans Day, which originally was Armistice Day in Europe. When World War I finally ended, the war to end all wars that didn't end all wars. The 21st century seems to be characterized with a kind of a pessimism and a cynicism about human capacities and capabilities, human motivation for good, even human institutions. If too much was expected at the beginning of the 20th century, maybe too little is expected at the beginning of the 21st century. When I think of Paris, I think of the place for romance. It's a place for lovers, not terrorism. What happened there this week has turned a city of 12 million people into a place of mourning. And today there is a collective service for those whose lives were cut short by the violence and terrorism of this past week. At least 128 dead and over 300 injured. We dare not have a Pollyannish view of life. The capacity for human evil is never taken lightly by Jesus. This year, we have also witnessed churches that have become bloodbaths. Not only around the world, but in Charleston, South Carolina, where a man shot and killed nine Bible study members at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. But you know what? They didn't close their church after that. They doubled down their efforts. They confronted the perpetrator in court with their pain, and yet they asked for God's mercy upon him. They lived out of their faith in the midst of that tragedy. I sometimes think that the Marine Corps advertisement has it right. We don't accept applications, only commitments. I think Jesus might have been saying something like that to the disciples that day on the Mount of Olives. Now, we may not be able to usher in a utopian society or even the reign of God, but we cannot and we must not passively do nothing in the face of human suffering and the moral crisis of our time. This idea that God is moving history towards a redemptive end does not leave us passive in the face, but keeps us motivated as people through the centuries have been motivated to participate actively in that transformation 
that God intends for all reality. Even though God's people experience sacrifice and struggle and persecution for their efforts, they believe and they take up the cause of Christ as their own. And the Lord is always leading His people toward a new way of living in the world. And Jesus prepared them for the challenge of this way of living in the world by saying things like this. I have said this to you so that you may find your peace in me. In the world you will find persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. So here's three things that I think this encounter between Jesus and his disciples suggests. First, we have to be patient. Now the English word for patience connotes only the passive tense. But in the Hebrew, it's a word that is active. It includes this idea of twirling together twirling thread used in fabric, waiting the way a mother-to-be waits for the birth of a child. It's an active waiting. Sometimes a scientist has to be patient to discover a new vaccine. It's an active waiting with careful observation. And the gospel calls us also to be watchful as we wait. The second implication is don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you hear. There are some who will try to convince you there's an easier way. Misleaders will come in all shapes and varieties to try and convince us that the gospel is really about our own personal success and fulfillment. God does not demand anything of us. There's no day of judgment in the future. Eat, drink, and be merry. Why make any sacrifice for the greater good of others? Why concern yourself with justice and righteousness? And even in recent history, there have been people like Jim Jones and David Koresh who mislead others, even to the point of taking their own lives. Don't be gullible. Use the mind God has given you. See through the flowery language and check it with your own experience of reality. If the return on investment being offered is too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Bernie Madoff is only one of the most recent and successful frauds in history. Don't be gullible. We may want to believe there's an easier way for the power of God to become a reality in our lives and in the world, but stay the course, keep the faith, endure and don't be misled by a fancy argument that there's an easier way. And third, third, hope in what the Lord will yet do. When you're in the midst of life's tempest, remember there's, it's always darkest before the dawn. 
Continue to hope in what God will yet do. Wait and watch with an active patience and perseverance. Remember, as the psalmist described it, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So, welcome to Holland. It's not the life you thought you were going to live, is it? It's not the life I thought I was going to live either. And it demands things from us, and it demands things from us individually and corporately that we don't want to give. But there's a beauty to the life God has given, and there's much to be thankful for. And we will learn how to love here, and we will learn to know the pain of loving. As the composer of the hymn wrote, for his own purpose, God shaped and formed you. You have a place within his plan. You are the image of your creator. Your past and your future are secure within his hand. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.